Well, what is going on, Hills Church? We are so glad you're with us today. Whether you're joining online or you are in service today, Theater 1, Theater 2, we are so glad you're here. As we're continuing this series, Straight 80s. We're talking about this, how some stories, they never get old, right? And so today we're going to be talking about maybe a story in the Bible you've heard of if you've been around church for a while, or maybe today you've never heard it. We're going to be talking about a guy named Samson and a girl named Delilah. Now, before we jump into our passage here today in Judges chapter 16, what I want to do is give you a little bit of backstory. Apply it a little bit to some 80s references so we know where we're going in service today, right? So today we're talking about a guy named Samson. Now, you got to understand, Samson is kind of the man, all right? The dude is the strongest man who was ever in the Bible, all right? So think like Andre the Giant, okay? Think Hulk Hogan, all right? Think uh, Ric Flair himself. You put them all together, and then you give them the hair of Fabio, you've got Samson, okay? That's kind of what we're talking about here today. If you're thinking 80s cartoons, think He-Man, okay? That's kind of what we're talking about. That is Samson. Now, the reason he was so strong is that God had given him this supernatural ability. He made a promise with God that he would never cut his hair, and because of it, God would always be with him, and he would always provide him strength. See, we see that Samson in the Bible is known as a judge, not someone with a gavel saying that you're guilty, not that type of judge, not Judge Judy. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about in those days is before Israel had a king, they had judges. They were there to be warriors, to be protectors, to make sure that the Israelites were safe and protected. And if they had lost their way to turn them back to God. So we see that Samson, man, he rocked this. There was literally one time All right, a thousand Philistines, their mortal enemies come against them and Samson defeats all of them with a donkey's jawbone, okay? Some say don't bring a knife to a gunfight. Apparently Samson just brings a donkey's jawbone and he gets work done, okay? For him, action speaks much louder than words. That was the type of guy that Samson was. But with every great hero, they always have an Achilles heel. They always have a problem, right? If you're a big Superman fan, maybe you watch the Christopher Reeves movies, right? Where Superman is the man of steel. But when he faces Lex Luthor, they show him kryptonite and he's crippled. He's debilitated. He's on the side and he's useless. Samson had his own kryptonite. See, he was a man who was lonely. He was a man because of his loneliness turned to lust. He had pride and anger issues. And because of that, we see his demise happen through the book of judges. And that's where we're going to be picking up today. We see out of Samson's loneliness that the night before Samson actually has a one night stand with a prostitute. And then we see that our story picks up right here in Judges chapter 16, starting in verse four. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the Valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Now, when you think of Delilah, think of like Denise Richards, absolutely beautiful, gorgeous. Samson sees her and says, I must have her, right? The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. Real love right there, right? Love him for the money. Okay, so Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Man, that's some solid flirting right there. Hey, Samson, how can I subdue you? Oh, girl, love you. Like, that's weird, okay? So he goes and he's just falling for it, right? He's lonely. He's looking for love. So this cycle begins to happen. Delilah says, tell me the source of your strength. And he lies to her. He says, okay, if you tie me up with bowstrings, I won't be able to break out of them. So he falls asleep. They tie him up. The Philistines come in. He wakes up. He breaks free. He beats up all the Philistines. And Delilah's like, well, you lied to me. Tell me the truth. 
And everybody would be like, bro, run. And he's like, but this is love. So once again, he says, I lied. But if you put fresh ropes around me, I won't be able to break out of them. So once again, he falls asleep. Delilah puts ropes around him, calls in the Philistines. He wakes up, breaks from the ropes, beats everybody up, gets out unscathed. Second time he breaks out. Before a third time, Delilah looks at him and says, hey, you lied to me. Tell me the source of your strength. So Samson goes, if you put bows and ribbons in my hair and a pin in it, I will have to give over my man card and therefore I would have no more strength, okay? So he falls asleep. She puts all this stuff in the hair. They tie her up. Once again, the Philistines come rushing back in. He breaks free, beats them all up, and finally she has had it. She is furious with him. She says this in verse 15. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. Can we just talk about how dumb Samson is just for a second? Like, for real. It's like every time you tell her something, it then happens to you. Who do you think's really behind this? And then she makes it about herself. She's like, how could you make a fool of me in front of my friends? They just want to murder you, <laughs> right? So you have all this happening, right? So we see there uh, once in verse 16, with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I've been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. I've been growing my hair out, hoping that God will give me supernatural strength. I don't think it's going to happen. It hasn't worked out yet. I can barely bench press 50, but we'll pray for it, right? All right, so verse 18. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more. He has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before, shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And then the Philistines seized him. They gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it has been shaved. We see in this moment that the Philistines are celebrating their victory. They're throwing this huge, massive celebration. They bring out Samson to parade him around and make fun of him and mock him. And we see what Samson does in verse 28. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more. And let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all of his might. And down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. I think it's pretty safe to say that Samson had the worst haircut of all time, okay? He gets his haircut, then they gouge out his eyes, and then they kill him. I don't know about you, that's not a barber I would want to go back to, right? And if we look in our lives, right, we've all had some pretty bad haircuts. Now, when I was slated to speak for this series, I kind of scratched my head for a second, because we're talking about the 80s, right? I was born in the 90s, which gives me a very rare perspective than everyone else because I never lived through this time period, right? So they're like, talk about 80 things. I'm like, I don't know. So I had to do my research, right? I went online and there's something that I found. In the 80s, if we could be honest, 
you guys had some pretty weird hairstyles. Can we just be honest for a moment? Yeah? Look, I was looking through these things. There were some weird photos, okay? And I figured to go down memory lane, we should reminisce in the bad hairstyles of the 80s, just to remember how far we've come. Cool? All right, so I want to show you guys. Check out this first picture. Yo, I don't know whether this man has a poodle on his head or he should be working at Buckingham Palace, okay? Like, this guy's hair is crazy, okay? That's a crazy hairstyle. It's a pretty bad hair day, all right? But number two, ladies, I think you might be able to associate with a little bit more, right? I mean, like, this is what I imagine for this poor girl is that it's picture day for high school. She's working on her bangs, getting them nice and neat. She spent so much time. Her parents are like, it's time to go. And she's like, oh my gosh, right? So she's sitting in front of the photographer. He's like, say cheese. And he's like, I hate myself. Like, that's what I imagine because she couldn't get the rest of her hair done, right? Now, the last one here, I have no words for. I don't know how to describe this to you. She literally cut off the front of her hair and then she's like, just pull it, put a leg warmer. She looks like a burnt cannoli is on her head, okay? It looks absolutely atrocious, okay? But that's what she's rocking in the 80s. Let's be honest, there are some bad haircuts, but we've all had bad haircuts, right? I remember growing up as a kid, man, I was notorious for having bad haircuts. Here's why. In my household, we never went to barbers, right? I had a barber. His name was Dad. And I have nothing against people who cut their kids' hairs. They'll come into kids' shirts, and they look great. You've done edging. You've put things in their hair. And I'm like, wow, that looks incredible. My dad did not have that skill set. I love you, Dad. I'm not trying to. Anyway, um, but he didn't have that skill set. The problem was is he didn't have the right tools for the job, okay? Because back in the day, he used something called a flobie. Does anybody know what a flobie is? No, if you've never heard of this beautiful invention, it was made in 1987. And they answered the age-old question, how can we make people's hair look worse from the comfort of their own home? Right? And if you've never seen it, here's legitimately a commercial of a Flobie. Here's how it works. You hook it up to a vacuum cleaner. You turn on your vacuum. It then sucks up your hair into a lawnmower. Okay? And then it cuts off your hair, sucks it in a vacuum. You're like, wow, that's a brilliant idea. There's no mess. There's no cleanup. And in theory, that works great. However, when it was used on me, keep in mind, it's late 90s talking 2000s now. Okay? This thing that my dad has is, mm, on a good day, about 10 years old. Okay, it has rust, it has faded, and the blades are dull on this thing. Okay, so we would be sitting there, he'd turn it on, and it sounded like a jet engine was taking off when it was putting your ears, like, and you're like, please don't put that near my head. Okay, so we're sitting there as my dad's cutting it. The problem is the blades are so dull, I have relatively thick hair, it's being pulled up, but it can't cut it, so it's stopping. So your hand, and it's just yanking my head like this. I don't know if I'm gonna get sucked into the vacuum cleaner like it's Ghostbusters. I don't know what's happening in this moment. And after all this time, my hair finally started to like get cut, all of this other stuff. I didn't really realize how bad my hair was. Why? Because I would just put in gel. I was a dude. It wasn't that big of a deal. Until years later, as an adult, I went and I got my hair cut by a professional. And what should have taken 20 minutes or 30 minutes took them a couple of hours to cut my hair. And it was short hair. Why? Because after all the years, my hair was at different levels across the board, and they had to go hair by hair to level it all out so it looked the same. I had a pretty bad haircut, okay? But it was nothing compared to Samson's, right? If we look at Samson's story, I think the first thing that everybody's thinking about when they hear this is, what is that dude's deal? How dumb can Samson get? Did he not see that Delilah was just using him? Was he blind to the fact of all of this was happening? 
But we've got to understand something. In this room, whether you're online, wherever you are, is we're all a lot like Samson. See, just like Superman who has his kryptonite, Samson had his kryptonite too. And everyone in this room, it may not be lust that Samson struggled with, but we all have a kryptonite. Something that makes us make the dumbest decisions time and time again. Things that will stop us from being the people that God wants us to be. Because the truth is, is that everyone in this room, God has purposed you, he has a plan for you, and he wants to use you. But the problem is, is if we are blind to our kryptonite, it will stop us in our tracks and make us unusable for God because we're so caught up in it. So as people, how do we beat this? As people, how do we crush our kryptonite so we can live out the calling that God has for us? Well, I'm looking at Samson's story. There are three things that we can do that we've got to understand from this story so that we can grow to be people who live out the callings that God has for us. And here's the first one. Don't delight in your kryptonite. Whether you're a chat online, type in don't delight in your kryptonite. See, we see that Samson had a kryptonite. What was his kryptonite? What was his Achilles heel? What was his sin? Samson loved women, all right? If you read through the book of Judges, you see as soon as he became of age, he went and he instantly married somebody. And everyone in his family is like, are you sure she doesn't come from like family lineage and all this other stuff you shouldn't be marrying? He's like, nope, that's the one. He marries her, right? As he's doing battle with the Philistines, he's messing with them. They come, they burn his house down and his wife and his father-in-law die in the fire. And because of that, he's left lonely. He's left insecure and he's trying to find love in all the wrong places. He's looking for women to fulfill him. And so we see then he goes and he has a one night stand and then he looks to Delilah to be his love, to fulfill him. And the problem was it was his kryptonite. And many of us in this room will say, Chris, I'm, I'm not like Samson. I don't struggle with that type of thing. But the truth is, is that we all have a kryptonite that we struggle with that will get in our way and stop us from falling our calling. Maybe for you, it may not be lust. Maybe for you, it's lying and gossip. Maybe for you, it's finances. Maybe for you, it's anger and bitterness. Maybe for you, it's the thoughts that you think because they're so negative and it'll completely shut you down because of the depression and anxiety. Maybe for you, it's the pride that you have in yourself, that you find all of your status and your worth in your job and in your value. And if people say one good thing about you, it inflates your ego. But as soon as someone says something about you, it drives you deep into a pit. We all have a kryptonite that is blocking us from fulfilling something. We have to understand this. is a lot of times when we see an issue, we like to deal with the behaviors of it, right? Like if we're struggling with something, we'll say, hey, you know what? I'm going to eat better tomorrow, right? Oh, I'm struggling with gossip. You know, I'll speak better of people tomorrow. We want to change our behaviors. We want behavior modification. But if we really want to beat our kryptonite, if we really want to tackle this sin, we have to understand that it's not just a skin issue. It is a heart issue, Right? The way that we beat this, the battleground is within your heart. I love what Brian Dembowczyk says. He says, focus on the external behavior and you will miss the internal heart. But focus on the internal heart and you will get both. See, we've got to recognize that every time we're struggling with something that's skin deep and there's a behavior, there's a motivation behind it within your heart. Right? If you're struggling with gossip, you've got to look why. You've got to ask, okay, why is it that I'm lying about people and gossiping about them? If you look a little bit deeper, what you might recognize is that there's an insecurity and you're jealous of how the other person is. So you'll raise your status by speaking poorly of them. You understand that it's a heart issue. Maybe for you, it is a lust issue. And you look, you say, well, you know what? There's the action, but why do I actually feel that way? Well, it's because of the insecurity I have because I want to be loved, but I don't feel like I could be loved. So in that moment, it's easy to control the situation and then instead of giving it to somebody else. And once you understand the motivation behind your heart, then you can start to tackle your kryptonite. 
See, but we've got to figure this out. You say, Chris, how do I figure that out? Here's a really tough way to figure out places that you're insecure and where your kryptonite might be. Ask somebody who's close to you. Ask a spouse, ask a close friend, and be like, what am I insecure about? It's a challenging thing to do, but they'll tell you the truth. Or even that, ask God. He'll reveal those things inside of you. you. Say, Chris, you're talking about the heart so much. Why the heart? Why the heart? Look what Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says. It says, above all else, guard your heart. It doesn't say your spleen or your mind. It says your heart. For everything you do flows from it. There's other verses in Proverbs that says, from the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. What is the Bible saying to this? Is you've got to guard your heart because everything that comes out of you starts here. And we see so many people struggling because they fail to guard their hearts and therefore they are vulnerable to their kryptonite. And here's the truth. Most people, you are your own worst enemy because you fail to guard your heart. So many people say, oh, I'm struggling with lust. I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. But if we looked at your heart, you really aren't guarding it because then we look at your behavioral patterns. We say, yeah, you're struggling with lust, but you're also watching shows on HBO and look at these movies and they have nudity and all these sex scenes and all this other stuff. And you're wondering why you're struggling with lust. We talk about, oh, I'm gossiping all the time. and I don't really know how to break it. I'm talking bad about people. What do I do? But if we would just look at your friend groups, we recognize the people that you're running with when you get to there, like, oh, did you hear about Debbie? Oh my gosh, did you hear what happened? And all you guys are doing is gossiping all the time and you're wondering why you're struggling with something when all your friends do the same thing. You're like, I don't know why I'm struggling. You're not guarding your heart. For some of you, you'll come in here on a Sunday morning and you say, yes, I love God. But for the rest of the week, you don't spend any time with God. And you're like, I just don't have any strength to fight my kryptonite. But if we will look deeper, you're only filling yourself up once a week and expecting God then to bless the rest of that. And we've got to understand that the battle starts with the heart. And God is telling you to guard your heart because your entire life flows from it. So for you, what does it look like to guard your heart? Is it protecting the time that you spend with God every week? that you're not going to get distracted by the things around you? Is it being uh, honest with people and then bringing an accountability in your life? Is it cutting off things in your life for a season so that you can heal and get your focus back onto God? That way you can be people who aren't struggling in their kryptonite. We can't delight in our kryptonite anymore. God has called us to too much to continue to dabble with things that only satisfy us for a while. God will satisfy us. He is everlasting, but we have to stop delighting in our kryptonite. The second thing that we see from the story is that your kryptonite will cost you your calling. Judges chapter 16, verse 20 says, he woke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. We got to understand, Samson was called. He was called to be a judge. He was supposed to be a warrior, a defender, a protector, and to help the Israelites get closer to God. But he delighted in his kryptonite. He kept on pursuing women and lust. And because of it, it cost him his calling. You know, the scariest part of that verse that we just read, it gives me chills every time I read it. It says, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. See, we talked about the, the physical actions of delighting your kryptonite, but there's also spiritual ones as well. Because when you continue to delight in those things that aren't of God, what happens is not only are you physically having ramifications, but they're spiritual ones as well. Sin has a way of blinding you so you can't see what God is trying to do in your life and you're blind to the sin that's in your own life. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. It says, The God of this age, meaning Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. See, Samson didn't see that God had left him till it was too late. 
He was so blinded by his own sin that he couldn't tell that God had left him. And it wasn't until his situation got out of hand that he said, God, where are you? And see, for many of us, because we keep on delighting in our sins, we don't recognize that God has left as well until it's too late. Usually what will happen is we'll begin to say these words, God, where are you? God, where are you at? <laughs> I, I thought you said this relationship was going to work and now I'm alone. God, where are you? But we've got to understand something about God. The reason that God leaves the situation where we're at isn't because he hates you, but we have to understand that God can't endorse the sins that you still entertain. God can't endorse the sins that you still entertain. Because as people were saying, God, I want you to bless me. Come on, God, bless me. We're saying, God, I want you to bless my family. But you won't be the spiritual leader within your own home. God, I want you to bless my finances. But you won't even trust God with the finances that you have. We're saying, God, I want you to bless the relationship that I'm in. But you're not even living a godly relationship. You're already living together and having premarital sex. And God's like, I can't bless that. God can't bless the sins that you're still blind to. And here we are asking for God to bless us. And he's saying, you've got to get a priority straight before I can jump in there. See, for us as people though, even though that we're blind, still God has made a way for us. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. But the moment one turns to the Lord with an open heart, the veil is lifted and they see, right? God doesn't want you to stay spiritually blind anymore. He doesn't want you to keep on living in your kryptonite that costs you your calling. You know why God separates himself? Is so when you're standing in a situation you shouldn't be in, you go, where is God? He's trying to get your attention so that you can go and turn from your sin and walk towards back to God. Because God is saying your calling is far too important. I want to use you. God wants you to go out into your neighbors and your workplaces and to use it to reach the Midwest for Jesus. But so often we'll dabble in our kryptonite, we'll delight in it, and we'll say, but God still bless me. And we'll become stagnant, ineffective Christians. And what God is trying to do is he's trying to separate himself to get your attention, to say, hey, I'm not mad, but I need you to get some priorities straight and put me first. That way I can use you. So for you, what, what is the thing that you're blind to right now? How do you need to turn so that God can use you? Don't let your kryptonite cost you your calling. God has purposed you. He has called you and you are far too valuable to sit on the sidelines stuck in your sin. The final thing that we've got to see in this story is that your kryptonite says that you're done. But with God, he says you've just begun. We see in Judges chapter 16, verse 22, he says, but the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Then he pushed with all of his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Ryan, if you haven't jumped on your piano, you can go ahead and do so, my man. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Samson's hair grew back. How crazy is that? That was a promise between God and Samson. Samson said, God, I'm going to be faithful to you. I will never cut my hair. And God said, I'll be faithful right back to you. And we see that Samson in his lust and in his insecurity, he trades his calling for a momentary pleasure. He was unfaithful to God. But God in his goodness and in his faithfulness said, I will still be faithful to you even though you haven't been faithful to me. And he began to grow Samson's hair back. Why? Because our God is faithful. Romans chapter three, verses three and four says this, but what if some were unfaithful to their divine calling? 
Does their unbelief weaken God's faithfulness? Absolutely not. God will always be proven faithful and true to his word. But people are proven to be liars. God is always faithful. He's always faithful to us. He saw Samson in the midst of his hurt and in his pain and in his sin. And he said, I still want to use you. Samson removed the sin from his eyes and God had his hair grow back. And God's looking at us and he's wanting to do the same for us. How do I know this? Because God is still faithful to forgive us. Look what 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 says. But if we freely admit our sins when his unlight uncovers them, he will be faithful to forgive us every time. God is just to forgive our sins because of Christ and he will continue to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful even when we're not. The Bible tells us that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if his word says he's going to be faithful, then he will. And even though that we are stuck in our sin and stuck in our shame and our lying and our deceit, even if you think it's the smallest sin in the world or the biggest one, you were unfaithful. God says, I'll still be faithful to you. He sent his son Jesus to die on a cross so we didn't have to sin in our shame anymore. So we didn't have to delight in our kryptonite anymore. God said, I have more. Jesus died on the cross so you wouldn't have to lose your calling for your sin. God is saying, I have more. God is wanting to use you, but he needs you to turn to him. Your kryptonite has probably beaten you down and said that you'll never be the person that God wants you to be. You'll always struggle with that sin. You need to sit on the sidelines because God can't use somebody like you. And for years you've been sitting in church sitting on the bench watching God do miracle after miracle and you're saying, well, I guess somebody else will do it. No, God called you. He wants to use you. He wants to empower you. And here's the beauty of it. He wants your hair to grow back. Your kryptonite told you that you were dead and done. But God says, I want to grow. And you've just begun. What dream did you give up on a long time ago because of the sin that you entered in? What lie did you believe because of the sin that you chose? Say, I can never be. No, 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 no. God looks at you and he says, because of my son Jesus, he was faithful and I'll always be faithful to forgive, but I need you to come now and believe it. God's called you. God doesn't want you to delight in your kryptonite anymore. He has more. Don't let your kryptonite cost your calling. God's called you to too much. And when your kryptonite says that you're done and over, God is saying, you've just begun. Why? Because our God's faithful. He's been faithful. He is faithful and he'll always be faithful and he wants to use you. Today you might be sitting in here and normally when I talk about this, I normally say, hey, if you've never asked Jesus in your life and we're gonna do that in a moment, but I really wanna talk to the people who come to church every Sunday and you're on and you call yourself a Christian because God needs to use you. Right? I talk about big sins and lust and all these other things, but guess what? We all have a kryptonite. We all have something that's standing in our way, stopping us from following our calling. What is it for you? Is it your thought life? Is it the pride? Is it the judgmental thoughts you have from other people when they come into church? Or is it your apathy? Because God wants to use you. Man, we have Easter coming up in just a couple of weeks. Man, God wants to see the Midwest reach for Jesus. That's not just a fancy slogan. We mean it. But God needs to use everybody in this room. He needs to use everybody online. Your friends, your neighbors. Here's the thing. People really don't like talking to me. They want to talk to you. They don't know me. 
God wants to use you. So for us, if we really want to deal with our kryptonite, the first thing we've got to understand is what is it, right? For you sitting at home, you might be sitting there and God has revealed some light, right? The verse we just read is that when God shines his light, it gives us the opportunity to then go and change our ways. So God might be revealing those things in your heart right now. So the next step for you, and here's your challenge this week, is how do you need to guard your heart this week so you can be available for how God wants to use you? How do you need to guard your heart? Maybe for you, it's getting accountability into your life. Maybe for you, it's just being open and honest for the very first time. Maybe for you, it's just diving into God's word consistently or setting goal to say, hey, you know what? I've been meaning to invite this friend to church, but I'm not gonna let my apathy stop me anymore. I'm gonna invite them. I'm gonna challenge them. I'm gonna pursue them because God has something for them. Maybe for you, you've been apathetic, sitting on the sidelines. What would it look like for you to serve? To get out of your comfort zone. Satan wants to keep you on the sidelines, say you can never be used, but God wants to use you. So let's get up and let's get going. How can you guard your heart this week and separate yourself from that kryptonite so that you can be used by God? Because God wants to use you, but it's up to you whether or not you're used. So here in a moment, we're gonna pray. And after that, maybe you feel like God's working on your heart. You say, Chris, I've never asked Jesus in my life before. I've heard about this, how God is faithful to forgive. I need that forgiveness. At the end of the service, this is what I encourage you to do, whether you're online, you're in service today. If you're in service today, we're gonna have people down here who wanna pray with you and walk out those next steps of asking Jesus in your life. If you're online, you're gonna have a moment to text the word decided and we're gonna have someone follow up with you. Right now, what I wanna pray for is that we look for the areas where we can guard our hearts so we can be available for what God has for us today. Let's go ahead, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for today and this time that we have to hang out with you. God, we recognize that you have called every single person in this room, regardless of the job we have or what we're doing, you have called us to reach the Midwest for you. So God, we leave behind our kryptonite. God, we don't wanna miss out on the calling that you have for us. You have purposed us, you have planned, you have plans for us, Jesus. So God, I pray today that you would expose to us the areas that we've been blinded by sin that we would pursue your light and your goodness. We would turn away from our kryptonite, God. You would help us to guard our hearts and make the first step to becoming more like you so that you can use us, God. We're open, we're available, so use us. It's your name I pray, amen. Amen, church. Well, hey, man, thank you guys so much for joining us here today. We are so glad that you are with us. I can't wait to see what God does over these next couple weeks as we're getting ready for Easter, right? If you made the decision to follow Jesus here today, Make sure you text us at decided to 812-432-1981. We've got some people who just want to chat with you and to make say, hey, congratulations on the decision you just made. You know, if you need prayer, don't feel like you need to rush out of here. We've got a team of people who will be up in front of both theaters where you can go and talk to somebody. If you need prayer online, just type in prayer, message us. We would love to talk with you. And if you're here for the very first time, text us new here to 812-432-1981. One, we got a free gift for you as a way to say thank you. Guys, God wants to use you. Easter's coming and we've got to be proactive. It's not time to sit on the sidelines anymore. We've got to go after God. You have a calling, you have a purpose and don't let your kryptonite stop you. All right, you guys go out and let's reach the Midwest for Jesus. We'll see you guys next week.